Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the family with Alex Brandt Bernard Rasmussen. Back from the brink of death, Catherine Brandt. The brink. And Andy Brandt Bernard. Are you on the brink too, Andy? Of death. I was not. Well, I don't know. Andy's not on the brink. Well, oh no. Uh oh. It all worked out. I'm feeling great myself. Oh, Oh. true. Lovely. But that's good because I was uh, sick for two weeks, and then Catherine's been sick for what? Uh, seven, a week eight, now. A whole week, week now. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is or what it, where it came from or whatever, but it's a real thrill. I'll last tell week, you that. Last week was rough. Yeah. Yes. Gosh, I got a my yearly migraine during the show on Tuesday. You did, right? yeah. And then Sage broke out in hives all over his entire body, mm. like violent hives on Wednesday. That's I have never seen hives that bad. I used to get crazy hives when I was a kid, and then they just went away. His, I don't know. Were his? In, he looked like he had leprosy. Seriously, it was. Mm. Yeah, they looked horrible. terrible. The only place he did not have them was his palms and his forehead and chest. Hmm. Wow. Everywhere else had hives. Wow. Ears. Do they know why? Scalp. Hives are pretty much impossible to yeah. figure out unless it's like, oh, when I eat papaya, I break out in oh, hives. Yeah, like, yeah. there's could be no a reaction to anything at all. It could be anything. I remember when mom had a hive breakout random. I remember couple Louis, years. Yeah, Louis Anderson was like, "You got to go to a doctor." <laughs> I'm like, I know, but I don't have any doctors here, and he's like, "I know where to go." So he gave me a, he gave me some name of some doctor, and I took an Uber out there, and they were like, they were looking at these hives, and I. I said, why would I have these? He said, well, you could have been sitting next to somebody that's got a ferret. And you have a ferret allergy. And you would never know. Really? Except, yeah. And you'll never sit next to anybody with a ferret again. So, Or you will, and then you'll break out in hives again, but you'll have no idea. But you'll have no idea why. It can yeah. be just the most random yep. thing in the world. I know. So it's like, it could have been a viral thing. It mm-hmm. could have been an allergy thing. We won't know. If it happens yeah. again, then we'll... Still probably not, no. Like, it's just, I really hope it doesn't happen again, though, because he slept hardly at all for two straight nights and was just scratching and scratching, and my entire life was just trying to make him semi-comfortable. It's terrible. They're they're the worst things in the whole world. I'd much rather have a barfing kid than a hive kid, 100%. Yeah, at least you have a... 100%. Yeah, it's really... It's, I'd much rather clean up vomit than deal with My hives. brother Terry had hives one time so badly that his throat was closing, and I think it happened to him twice or three mm. times and never has happened again. Yep, yeah. that's how it goes. I know. Yeah, that's the only thing that made me, like, nervous about it was... Yes. Is he breathing? Yeah, is you he... Have to be careful. Because his energy was fine the entire time. I know, and then it's really know. hard when you're, when you're sleeping because you warm up... Yes. While you sleep under the blankets, yep. and then you get so itchy, you think yep. you're going to lose your mind. Yep. Yep. And yep. But now we're good to go. Well, let's hope. Here's hoping that everybody's on the up and up. So stage. he has gotten better. Yes. Every day he's, well, so he got them Wednesday night overnight is when they started. <laughs> Thursday afternoon they peaked. And then Friday morning he woke up and he was about 50% better. And then Saturday morning, he woke up and was 50% better from what he had left. And then now it's just kind of what has been left over. I think the parts that he scratched a ton and are just irritated. But he hasn't really been scratching, except for in the middle of the night last night, he woke up for about 45 minutes and was scratching. 
which was weird because all day yesterday he wasn't scratching. Yeah, well, it's because you're busy and yeah. for some reason and it's then, a nighttime thing. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, I, Do I sound as terrible? No. No, no okay. you sound... Because in sound my head I sound yeah. completely weird. You sound a little stuffy, but not, okay. not terrible, no. Right. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant Tom here. For years, you've heard me talk about my friends at North American Banking Company. They have great online and mobile banking options, plus friendly employees who are always ready to help. And with their location in Maple Grove now open, it's even more convenient for me and my family. Go visit my friends at any one of their six Twin Cities locations or go online to nabankco.com to learn more. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Our guest is. Our guest is on the phone. Yay. All right, this is going to be a tough one on me and Catherine and Andy because now we have two Rasmussens on the show mm -hmm. at the same time. This is going to be very difficult. Oh, look at that. We got Leslie A. Rasmussen and Alex Rasmussen. We got two Rasmussens. What am, well, Leslie, what am I supposed to do with that? Are you related? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. She goes, I don't know. Uh, Leslie A. Rasmussen, her upcoming book, The Stories We Cannot Tell. Do you have any relatives in, in uh, the Midwest? Because Rasmussen's a big name in the Midwest. You know, Rasmussen's such a big name. It's like Smith in Danish. It's, it's actually my husband's name, and his whole family's in Connecticut. Hmm. Oh, there you go. There you Do you ever it. get the Rasmussen? Yes. I, you know, my son says it one way. My husband says it another. My other, mm. I, we all say it differently. Yeah, it's that's, Ras, that's Rasputin, honey. Not Rasputin. Yeah, it's a different deal. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Leslie A. Rasmussen, her upcoming book, The Stories We Cannot Tell, which, by the way, I love the name of the book, uh, a fiction novel. Yeah. Centering around two women navigating pregnancy, infertility, relationships, and family with themes of love and sisterhood at the heart of the story. What are you, what are you doing writing a positive book, Leslie? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, because I was a sitcom writer, there is a lot of positive stuff in it. There's a few scenes that are heartbreaking. But you know what? I like to laugh, so there's a lot of witty dialogue. <laughs> God, isn't that wonderful to laugh? Are people laughing anywhere near as much now as they should be, Leslie? What do you think? I hope so. With everything going on in the world, I hope there's a lot more laughter than, the, than what we're seeing in the world. Yes, I hope so. Are you being affected by the writer's strike at all? Are you still writing um, anything I, for television? I am. Okay. Well, first of all, my husband's an executive producer writer, so he's on strike. My oh. son is a writer's assistant right now trying to be a writer, so he can't work. Oh, so, no yeah, I'm by, And I'm in the Writers Guild, but because I'm not writing television right now, I don't physically have to pick it. But it's, oh, yeah, it's affecting in all of L.A. I mean, the restaurants. I mean, it affects so many people that, you know, you don't realize how many other people are affected by the strike. Oh, I'm sure that is absolutely true. I got I to read a paragraph here because you have worked with some of my favorite people. 
Leslie was born and raised oh. in Los Angeles, graduated from UCLA. She went on to write television comedies for Gerald McRaney, Burt Reynolds, Roseanne Barr, Norm MacDonald, Drew Carey. Great people, every one of them. Yeah, yeah, they're all great people. Norm is one of my very favorite people. Oh. I was so sad when he passed away. I couldn't agree you know, more. Great guy. He didn't tell anybody, so it was really sad because so many people, you know, my husband was actually friends with him and didn't know. He didn't tell people, and so it was really devastating for all of us. It was really funny the first time that Norm MacDonald ever came. I've been doing radio for 52 years, so I've met just about everybody. But Norm MacDonald came into studio for the very first time many, many years ago. And I, this is how I've sounded since I was 11 years old. So I introduced him, and there was a long pause. He goes, you always talk like that? (laughs) Yes, yes, I do. Yes, and that is that is absolutely Norm. <laughs> that is oh, isn't that Norm? That is Norm McDonald all the way, isn't it? It is true. Yes, he always was so quick and so funny. No question about. It. Well, uh, you know, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, but that you you mentioned the fact that Norm, we've lost Norm, but that whole period with the Louis Andersons and Gilbert Gottfried and and yeah. Sajak and uh, I mean I mean Saget, excuse me. Uh, yeah, Saget, yeah. I'm saying, just a yeah, great our, bunch of great or, people. I know, all with great reputations for being so nice to everybody they worked with. That's what I, they were all terrific with me, I'll tell you that. Just wonderful, wonderful people to deal with. What inspired your new yeah. book, Leslie? Well, first of all, I after I finished, you know, writing television, and I stopped really because I had kids, because it was just, the hours were crazy. I did a lot of other things, and I wrote a lot for Huffington Post, and then I just decided I was going to try to write a book. So this is actually my second book. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one was easier to write than the first one, sure. because I really did not know what I was doing with the first one. Um, but I just wanted to tell stories, like fictionalized stories, because that's what I did with uh, sitcoms. Mm-hmm. and. I love stories about friendships and marriage and family and, you know, all the issues that human beings face. So this book is really about so much that, especially women, but there's also, you know, relationships in this book and how pregnancy and miscarriage and all kinds of things that have to do with, you know, uh, having a baby, how that affects the relationships in your life, too, including your friendships. Well, no question about it. Ooh, yeah. Got... <laughs> Wait, what? Oh my gosh. Well, I, I mean, I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and my mm-hmm. seven-year-old was the easiest baby of all time. My five-year-old mm-hmm. was the opposite, did not sleep, needed yeah. me constantly, crying, very difficult. And I truly did not feel like myself again until he turned probably four yeah, mm-hmm. it's a long time. And, yes, it, and I look back now and I think about how I basically forgot him being a baby and a toddler because I was so sleep deprived and just in mm-hmm. it because I had, I mean, I had two year difference in kids. And so I had right. a two year old and a newborn That's and all this I stuff. And <laughs> yeah, and it's just, it's wonderful. And I love their age difference, but I really recently have been thinking about how much it changed every aspect of my life, especially my relationships. It does, because actually I think parenting is probably should be, although they say it's money, but parenting should be the leading cause of divorce, although I'm still married. <laughs> I think but it is. <laughs> parenting with different baggage from your own life and your own parents, and then so you're going to parent differently anyway. And then you're tired in the beginning, and then when they get older, you have different aspects that you look at, like, you know, you, one parent might be easier, one parent might be harder. And it causes a lot of stress in a relationship. And you do lose yourself <laughs> at the beginning especially. Totally. You know, and you lose your relationship a little bit. You have to kind of think, oh, yeah, I do have a husband or a partner or whoever that is yeah. you know, to remember. Yeah, it's like you, you know, go to Planet Baby. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you do. You go to Planet Baby. That's yep. a perfect way to say it. Yep. And when they get older, you start to come out of Planet Baby. Yeah, you sort of float back <laughs> gradually to Earth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, hello, people. Here yes. we are. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things that I love the most, and people don't believe me, most people will not believe that 
Catherine and I are married, and we had a son named Andy and a daughter named Alex, and we all work together on the same podcast, and nobody believes oh. we're actually all related. What? Nobody <laughs> believes that? Yeah, because no families don't like working together, apparently. We do. Well, I don't know. I like well, we used one. to have a lot of comedians come through here. A lot of comedians were like, you all talk to each other, and you like each other? And I'm like, well, I don't know what that says about comedians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But people say that about my husband and I because he, he's one of my editors for my book. Oh, okay. We talk about all the stuff that he works on. We work out stories together. We do all that stuff together. You know, and I love, because he's a writer, obviously, he totally understands me and I understand him. But I think it's great. <laughs> so. No, it is wonderful. There's no question. And, you know, Alex talked about having two children. Andy's got a little boy as well. And the second yeah. he could move, he and I became really good friends. I've been great friends with mm. Alex's kids for seven and five years now. I, I love little kids. I don't know if that's weird for a, for a grandfather, but I do. I just love them. I think that's great. No, I, I like kids. I think babies are tougher. Mm. Like oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are. But I do. I love my kids. <laughs> now that that's been said and it's on a recording <laughs> no, well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about well there was a kind of a discussion on the phone yesterday with Andy and his wife uh, and their son Ethan and we are talking about you know this winter maybe going to Disney World and all the rest of it and mm -hmm. Ethan will only be two years old then and bringing a two year old to Disney World they're don't. talking about that's no don't. just don't do don't. it don't don't, don't even don't. think no, that's what I've been it. saying don't He's, yeah not until he's four. I've done no. that many, many years ago. Um, my husband was working on the Drew Carey show, and Drew took everybody from the entire show to Disney World and put oh. us all up and gave us all people that, like, literally picked us up from the hotel and took us all through Disney World. And my son, I was pregnant with my second one, and my son was, like, 18 months. And he was just completely out of it. It was yeah. hot. Yeah. He it's, had no mm -hmm. idea what was no. going on. Right. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> three the, is like the youngest, and three, that's and yeah, that I'd would say so. I'd say even just girls at three because they're so obsessed with the princess stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. boys I feel like at three it just wouldn't. Yeah, Ethan would just be like going around like trying to touch all the garbage cans yeah. and <laughs> shaking the fences. It's like I know, yeah. but that's fun for them. So, but well, you, you can, can do, do that, that at their home. day. You can do that for free. You can do that at home. <laughs> he already do does that, that at home. Anywhere. Do you have to pay for Perfect. a three-year-old? No, you don't have to pay until they're four. I think. Okay. Yeah, well, but you'd so have to pay for us. You guys. Yeah. And we and would spend the entire time babysitting Ethan. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the great. Oh my gosh! Yes. I would have loved it, and of course. When they were discussing this, it was pointed out, uh, well, all three of my grandchildren call me Bop Bop from Alex's daughter, Aww. who's now seven. She started Bop Bop, and now everybody calls, all the children call me Bop Bop. And, and that came out, it's like, well, let's be honest. The reason we'd even do it is because Bop Bop wants to see Ethan at Disney World, which I do someday. There's no question. <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. I know. No It'll question happen. about it. So you you work with your family, you work your husband, uh, and you work together on things. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah, no, we really enjoy it, and he's the most amazing editor. He's just even though I mean he's done sitcoms and dramas, he's done everything. He's been working for many many years, so he's really good at story. So he's really helpful. Like with my first book, I didn't know what I was doing, so I didn't write an outline. And I got to the middle of the book, and I was like, oh, now what's going to happen? Because <laughs> the middle of the book is the hardest part. The beginning, the end is easy. Mm -hmm. The middle is really hard. So he came in, and he said, you have to write an outline. And he was right. I, once I wrote the outline, the rest of the book came to me. But I, you know, I, in the second book, I definitely wrote an outline. And I'm working on a third book, and I have an outline. Because writing a book, it's, you know... Very different from, you know, 30, 40 pages of a sitcom. <laughs> so yeah. Kind of have to know where it's going. I can see that. How, who came up with the title? I did. I actually had the title before I wrote the book. The title just came to me one day, and I thought, this is a great title because it's exactly what the book is about. Mm -hmm. Because so many women do not discuss so many things, like if they're trying to get pregnant, they don't tell anybody because they don't want the pressure. Right. Or if they have a miscarriage, they're embarrassed, like they did something wrong. So it's all these stories that we have inside of us that we don't tell unless another person brings it up. And then people open up like crazy, which is what 
happened to me. I t- started talking to friends, and they were like, oh, my God, I had three miscarriages. I had a miscarriage, you know. And, but people don't want to talk about it because somehow women feel that it's their fault, which, of course, it's not. But, I mean, I felt that way when I had a miscarriage, that it was my fault, that I did something wrong. Yeah. So that's why the stories we cannot tell came to me. Well, is your story, are, are your stories um, all drawn from personal experiences, or do you like to make more stuff up? <laughs> I make up everything, but, like, I will take a small experience and then make it, you know, completely fictionalized. Um, in my first book, the first book is really about a woman in midlife who wants to rediscover herself after her child is going off, going to go off to college. But she's also in the sandwich generation, so she's also dealing with aging parents. Uh. Her husband's got something going on, so it's like her in the middle of her life and all these things that are happening. And that I wrote partially because I had a ton of friends that we all had kids that were going into high school, and we were like, okay, now what? You know, now what do we do? So that's where that kind of came from, from tons of people. So it's fiction, but that kind of came from, you know, real life and my life just trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And, and also I had aging parents, so that came into play too. But none of the people in the book are real people, if that makes sense. The, the yeah. situations are. And then in this book, I, um, many, many years ago, I had uh, volunteered at Planned Parenthood, first in the clinic and then in the corporation, and I saw a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And then I had tons of friends that went through issues, and then we were all trying to get pregnant, and some of us got pregnant easily, and some of us did not. And so this book, you know, I, I have a 26-year-old and a 24-year-old, so this, you know, a lot of this stuff came to me a long, long time ago, but I just never wrote the book. And then a few years ago, basically during COVID, I was like, what am I going to write next? And it just sort of came to me. So writing short pieces for um, the Huffington Post and Mm -hmm. sitcoms is completely different than writing a novel. Like you said, you had to do an outline and you've got to have this whole, it has to be coherent. I... I'm kind of hearing that you're just so you kind of like are just a person that likes to just maybe spitball a little bit when you're writing. And then when you have to do the discipline of writing a book, because you hear these stories about these authors that just the story just flowed through my typewriter, you know, or whatever. And and you think, I don't want to do an outline. That's not fun. No, exactly. (laughs) Who is it that had a dream? It was the... um, Somebody, uh, was it J.K. Rowling or something, had a dream in the whole book? Yeah, yeah, like all of Harry Potter just came to her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That is so not me, but (laughs) I will say when I sit down to write an essay for Huffington Post, they're all personal essays, Mm -hmm. and they're all, those are are personal. Those are really, you know, I started so many years ago, so they were like my son going off to camp for the first time. I wrote about my relationship with my husband. I wrote about all kinds of things. Those just can come flying out of me, and I can still write those. I wrote one recently. Um, I wrote one about menopause, one about, you know, being a certain age in your 50s and, and, you know, wearing a bikini. I mean, I've written all kinds of things. So those are easy. Um, sitcoms, you know, you're in a room filled with people, and you're not really doing that by yourself, the outline. Um, so you're working on an outline with all the executive producers, all the other producers, and the story, you know, you're pitching on it, but it's none of that is just one person until you go off and write it, obviously. And then it's, you know, you go in the room and there's a rewrite session and then the actors get it and there's more rewrites. With a book, I, I knew that I should be writing an outline, but when I first started, I was like scared to sit down and just do it. It seemed so overwhelming. Um, but by the second one, the story just came to me. So this one was easy for me to just sit down and write an outline of every single scene that was going to happen, and then I could just write the book. Yeah, we had a friend, um, Vince Flynn. I don't know if you've ever read any of his stories, but um, he's what did he I write? 20, 20 books? He wrote a lot of books. Yeah. 20 books. So, That's like, what? So yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so much research. It just sounds kind of like a drag in a way. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I know. I know. I don't, I, I have to say I'm not like a big into research, but I have to do it. My 
first book, um, I, the, I deal with Lewy body dementia in my first book. So I met with a neuropsychologist. I was on Facebook groups. I was doing tons of research that so would be as realistic as possible. But I'm not, I don't love doing research. I like writing from experiences that real people have. So it's not as much research. Right. <laughs> it's work, but not nearly as much work. Exactly. I love the writing part of it. I just don't love the, you know, Googling everything and meeting with people about certain things and taking notes. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. I did, I did college. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. Exactly. I understand that completely. Leslie, how, how does a person come to the first uh, realization that, hey, I could probably write a book? I mean, not everybody's, I have <laughs> never thought for a second that I could write a book, but you, it occurred to you. How does that happen? Oh, that's so funny because I know so many people that say, I'm going to write a book, and they just never do. <laughs> right. um, me. <laughs> I think I was in denial. I think I was seriously in denial, but I took a writing workshop, and I wasn't even thinking of writing a book. I just wanted to do something that got my creative juices flowing, and I took this writing workshop, and it was a lot of prompts where they say things like, write what your grandmother's kitchen looked like, write a scene about this. And I started doing that, and this character just sort of developed for my first book, and I kept realizing, oh, I'm actually writing scenes from a book. Mm -hmm. So then that sort of made me calm down and not be as overwhelmed, and I thought, okay, I have all the time in the world because, you know, if it takes me five years, if it takes me ten years, I'm still going to be getting older. So I just thought, I'm just going to sit down and do this. And it did take four and a half years from writing to publication. Which wasn't as bad as I thought it would take, but no, that's not bad. Yeah, but I mean, you were working in LA. Didn't you think there were some inside angles for you? Meaning, inside angles for what? Well, I mean, you were known as a writer of uh, of uh, sitcoms and all the rest of it, and on TV and all the rest of it. Obviously, you were very good at writing. So when you wrote the first book, uh, you would think it'd be accepted. Yeah, you know. It doesn't really work that way. TV and books are such a different thing. Mm -hmm. And being in L.A., I mean, people used to say that to me. They'd be like, you must have so many contacts. Like, my contacts that I had from when I wrote television are either, you know, like, gone. Because a lot of people, I mean, a lot of writers we know left the business. Mm -hmm. Because at a certain point, it's hard to get jobs. And then Mm -hmm. you can't live in L.A., so they leave the state. And, I mean, my husband has worked for, oh, my God. 40 years, 30, no, not 40 years, 35 years, and never didn't have a job. Wow. And he's so talented, but he's got a great reputation, and people just grab him whenever a show ends. So, and since he's done sitcoms and drama, he's like, you know. But even at that, like, we aren't, like, what people call Hollywood people. We don't, like, go to Hollywood parties. You know, we're just, like, normal people, both Mm -hmm. of us. So we don't just, like, go hang out with our agents, you know, and my agent, actually, I had, when I started, I had a big sitcom agent, and then he passed me off to, like, what they call a baby agent, and the baby agent (laughs) ended up, after I left the business, ended up running ICM and was the president of ICM. Oh, well. Okay. Yeah. So, it's just crazy. (laughs) So, now, I mean, this is not you, obviously. I haven't spoken to him in years. Uh, It's not you, obviously, but what... What do writers do? So everybody's on strike right now and everybody's picketing and all the rest of it. That's got to drive. I mean, if you sit down and write a lot, whether it's daily or weekly or monthly or whatever, to not be able to do that's got to be driving people crazy, I would think. I think it is. I mean, most people I know are getting together with friends they haven't seen in a very long time because mm-hmm. their hours are so bad. Right. Um, they're relaxing, they're reading a lot. And, you know, honestly, what happens during the strike is most people write something for themselves. Mm. And then after the strike, there's a lot of content out there because people do, they just don't sell anything. They don't have any meetings. They don't do any of that. But some people will just write something, go, oh, I've always wanted to write a screenplay. And they'll just write a screenplay and then hope at some point they can sell it. You know, so some people do write. I mean, some people just take the time. I mean, my husband is always working, so he's just relaxing now. Now this... And picketing. I mean, you know, they're yeah. all on the picket line, too. So that takes time, too. I like you that. You know, and it's hot here. So between that, too, yeah. Well, it's only 132 degrees out in Death Valley. It's not that bad. 
I know. It's nothing. I mean, we only have, I think, 96 today. Yay! Wow. That's a nice touch. No, I just, uh, you think about all that stuff. You spend all the time and coming up with these great ideas. And then, uh, you know, being on strike's got to be very, very difficult for for people. I know it it, unfortunately has to happen, but what are you going to do? I know, and I hope, honestly, I really hope that they go back to the table with the writers and or the actors soon because, you know, it's putting people out of business. And, you know, one of the CEOs, I can't even believe they said this out loud, and it was in the trade, I I think it was on deadline, that they said that they're going to keep it going until all everybody loses their houses. What? Oh, my gosh. What what kind of horrible (laughs) monster says that? What on earth? (laughs) Yeah. They said it, and I'm thinking, first of all, what they don't realize is anybody who has been writing for many, many years, you know, you save money. You know this is going to happen. But what they're going to do is put people out of business who are the low-level writers who, you know, don't make a lot of money. And then people like, I mean, my son is on unemployment because he's a writer's assistant and he Mm -hmm. wants to be a writer. And, you know, he's on unemployment and we're helping him, you know, because he doesn't live here. So those are the people that are really in trouble. So, and the CEOs that say this, they just got a bonus of like, what was it, like $100 million or twenty? I mean, you know, the, the studios are making hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, and all the writers really are asking for is like $17 million or something like that to, to deal with all this stuff. So we're not talking about putting them out of their houses. So it's really, really short-sighted and mean. Yeah, I read a artic- an article this morning. Um, former Paramount CEO Barry Diller, do you know who he is? Sure. Yes. Delivered uh-huh. a grim prediction for Hollywood on Sunday, warning that the industry is facing an absolute collapse if the Writers and Screen oh. Actors Guild joint strike extends into the fall. And what is interesting is a lot of this is about what they're doing and what will happen with AI, which I didn't know about. Um, And, I mean, that's an absolutely legitimate concern for writers. It is. And what they offered, because I was listening to Fran Drescher on the news, they said, oh, we offer this great deal. Well, what this is even, this is scary. What they wanted to do, especially for actors... They wanted to take the background people, bring them in for a day, and they get paid nothing. It's scale. It's not enough to live anything on. And they were going to use AI, take however they work it, and I don't, I'm not technological at all, so I don't know. But they were going to somehow use that so they could use back their background faces forever. Uh, without paying them again. Right, yeah, exactly. I saw that. Where that it's like we just, just a, that's I bullshit, know. man. <laughs> that is bullshit. I, know. I saw that. I was like, that's the first offer. That's a terrible offer. <laughs> terrible. Who offer. would take that? But, but I mean, for background people who you know, some of them do it, and they have to do it every single day, and they don't make a lot of money. So to do that to them, and then of course, actors don't want their faces out there on commercials or doing things without their permission and right. without getting paid. Right. And I truly don't think. AI can write a script with jokes. I mean, I've used the AI chat, whatever it's called, chat GPT or GP, whatever it is. And it's, you know, it can spill out a great cover letter, but it's not going to put out a great sitcom script. But it's scary. It really is scary for all of us. Well, I just, they're trying to put everybody out of business. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, increased minimum pay rates, increased streaming residuals and guarantees from studio and production companies about how exactly AI will be used. This does not sound unreasonable to me. It's not. And, you know, here's an example. Like, um, I still get royalties, residuals from shows I wrote 20 years ago. Okay, they still come in. When they come in off the network, I'm still making good money, like in the hundreds. When they come off streaming, I get 17 cents. Oh. That's the difference. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's what? Yeah. (laughs) 17 cents. I, I, take it, I take them all to the bank, and I just want to laugh. Cause I'm like, here's the 17 cents that they spent, whatever, 49 cents to send me. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. It but is ridiculous. As slow as five cents. Yeah. Well, if, they, if we don't have new content, and like this guy said in the fall, people are going to start canceling their subscriptions, and then everybody's well, going to suffer. That's going to hurt them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's going to hurt them because the networks will continue to put on whatever game shows and reality shows they're putting on. Ugh. But streaming <laughs> services, people are going to go, well, there's nothing new, so bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That will really hurt them. 
Oh, Tom, Tom, back to Gunsmoke reruns for you. Yeah, but I'll be watching Gunsmoke again. It's true. When they didn't pay royalties anyway to any of those people, yeah, back then. They did not. They didn't pay them. They 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 didn't? Very little. Nope. No. Wow. Until I don't even know what year, but it was not early. Leslie, why does this keep happening? Because for about 35 years from the time I was, I guess, I don't know, about 21 years old, something like that. I did a lot of voiceover in Los Angeles and Chicago and New York and Minneapolis, St. Paul, and just did voiceover everywhere. And now I couldn't do that again. I can do voiceover, but you don't make any money doing voiceover anymore unless you're a movie star. Oh, really? That's because they, yeah, they hire all the movie stars. I didn't know that. I just assumed voiceovers, although there's so many people trying to do voiceovers now. I mean, Los Angeles is filled with people trying to do voiceovers, so it's hard. But you have the perfect voice. I would think they'd be dying for you. Well, I did for about 35 years, but I haven't done it in a long time. I Literally, I did uh, a, a spot that back in the old days I would have made a lot of money doing, and I ended up making like $3,000, which is a nice chunk of money, but it's not, right. you know, a hundred grand like it used to get paid. It's <laughs> a big difference. Yeah, exactly. And then they pay these, you know, yeah, the celebrities where you'll recognize their voice. Yeah. Probably a million dollars. I don't know. That's probably true. Leslie, you've been a great guest. I, I, again, I guess having two Rasmussens on at the same time worked out. <laughs> We're good people, It Dan. worked out great. Thank you. Leslie, I, I love Le- being here. Thank you. Leslie, come back soon. Thank you. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game, and you can play along. The item might be like, this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. You need to know a guy for your auto repairs, legal issues, banking, and more. The same goes for investment advice. You need a guy to help you be successful. Someone you can trust who gets results. Well, I got a guy for you. Josh Arnold. Josh gives you straight talk, not sugar-coated advice about your financial situation. Josh has seen it all when it comes to economic and market conditions, and Josh can make sure that your retirement objectives match your investments. Do yourself a favor and call Josh now for a no-obligation, 48-minute evaluation. You've got nothing to lose, and you'll get a different point of view for your investments. Call Josh at 952-925-5608. That is 952-925-5608. You'll be glad that you did. And tell him his, his guy, Tom, sent you. Investment services offered by Josh Arnold Investment Consultant, LLC, a security investment advisor. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk. All comments and opinions are Josh Arnold's and do not constitute investment advice. Tom Bernard is a paid endorser. She's a terrific guest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got, I was just listening to you guys talk to her and it was like, you'd known each other forever, for God's sake. Forever. She's actually my cousin. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. That's, All Rasmussen's go. know Rasmussen's know each other. Don't even I get me ask her, started. I was going to ask her a question, but then I decided, nah, maybe I won't ask it. Because if you're a writer, whether it's for television or movies or books or whatever the situation is, how do you decide when to change your style of writing? Because to write for someone like me or even you, Catherine, but you're eight years younger than I am, uh, to the next generation, how do you know? Because the generations don't think the same. They don't like the same things. Mm-hmm. They have their own take on things. Sure. How do you decide as a writer to change the way you're writing to appeal to a, a younger audience? I think you hire writers yeah. for your audience. Yep, exactly. I don't think writers change. I think no. they get replaced. They just get yep. replaced. So that's mm-hmm. not good news for, for some of these people who are on strike, is it? No. No. Well, I don't think so. I think that writers would hopefully be able to, like actors, a good actor can play comedy, yeah. drama, horror. Like they can shift and change. And writers, hopefully, they can write a good any of those stories. Or you, know, I don't know. I don't. Well, I guess I should have asked that because I don't know. You know, as like she said, junior writers probably don't make any money. Mm-hmm. And no. then when you're like her husband, who is in constant demand, yeah, always mm-hmm. had he probably job. gets. I don't. I don't know how it works. I know actors get scale. 
you know, plus, 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 whatever scale they can get. Whatever, right. Yeah, right. yeah right. like you you used to be able to charge, I don't know what it was, 10 times scale or whatever. Yeah, it was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah it was, <clears throat> you know, I don't know if writers are the same. I don't think writers way. get, well, they're members of they're SAG. Screen art, yeah, yeah, Screen Actors Guild. So they, I think they're entitled, well, they're entitled to at least scale. Scale is the minimum that a right. member of the guild right. is allowed to right. be paid. Yeah. But scale isn't very high. I uh, know it's see, a very it complicated right world out there because I mean yes. when da- when Dad was doing his uh, voiceover mostly, um, you know, you had to make X amount of dollars to get health care insurance and X amount of dollars mm-hmm. to get um, retirement benefits, and it, it was just. And then navigating the whole healthcare thing, not being in LA, was really difficult. Yeah, it we was, had to go yep. through a Chicago office, and yep. they were constantly denying everything. And it was just—it no, really was not right. an easy thing to be in. I mean, you know, thank God because you've got retirement benefits out of doing that. But you mm-hmm. worked in the industry for a very long time. Yeah, I did for a long time. And back then, by the way, when I when I first started all those years ago. Um, there was no internet. No. So, oh, yeah, everything was faxed, and yeah, you yeah. had to show up. Yep. And you, you had, had to show, to show up. up. You used Absolutely. to have to fly in to do a commercial. Well, you had to go to L.A. You had to go. I, I yep. went back and forth to Chicago, what, about two, three times a week? Yeah, for a while there. You had that really great agent, Sharon. Sharon Watrick at the time. Yeah, she was a great agent Watrick. for you. A-plus in, in Chicago. She was wonderful. In New York. New York was a good market for a while. But then it used to be that... Hollywood actors didn't want to do commercials because they thought it was beneath them. Right. That's but then exactly they found right. out that they could charge whatever astronomical sum that they wanted, and yep. all of the uh, producers of the t- of the radio and television ads were like, "Oh, we can go hang out with, you know, Robert De Niro or whoever was cool at the time." And yeah, the industry just completely changed. Scale is actually pretty good right now. Is it? Is it? Uh, for theatrical, so budget of greater than two million dollars. Yeah, which is, which is right everything. Now is everything. Yeah. Scale is a thousand bucks a day. See, yeah, but if you're only working good. for, yeah, well, yeah you only but, working for a it, month. Yeah, you only shoot for. Well, writers probably only work for a couple weeks on something like that. Maybe longer. So but if you're constantly employed, that you're making insane amounts of money as a writer. Yeah, but you're not usually. But, yeah, that's the thing. It depends what on... What the heck is happening? Alex, Alex the printer. something. I didn't know that it was going to actually do it. <laughs> what was... Oh, it's the, the printer. printer. That's the printer? Sorry, it's Sage's school supply list. Man, it sounds like we're in the basement of <laughs> controlled data. I'll wait to do Fonz until the end. I didn't know that it was actually going to start. Well, Andy, I mean, you're talking about a thousand bucks a day, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only problem you got with that is you cannot live in <clears throat> Los Angeles, at least in the heart of Hollywood... For a quarter million a year. There's no, no well, yeah, way. that's the thing. No, you can't buy a house yeah. for less than a million. Oh, a million. It's like five million now, I guess. Is it for a starter house? I guess it's just terrible. It's yeah, way it's overpriced. just too expensive to live Let's in California. See. It's too expensive to live anywhere. Yeah. Without rent, a family of four costs $4,600 <clears throat> just to live in Los Angeles. Without rent. Wow. I'm not buying that either. No, I'm not buying that. That's not even 500 bucks a month. No, $4,600 a month. Almost that's five. what I'm saying. It's not $5,000 a month. I mean, that's, that's, I don't see how you're going to get by on that. Not in L.A., Yeah, because rent's going to be at least 3000 without rent. Well, without rent. Okay. So you <laughs> have to have almost, you have to have 10000 probably. Probably, at least, yeah. $10,000 a month for yeah. a family of four just to get by. Oh, yeah, because it's So that's $120,000 a year just for, yeah. Just to live. There's no way no you can live spare. in LA on that. No way. I'm sure you can if you're willing to cut a lot of costs. And cram those kids into one bedroom. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. Yeah. Probably right. Well, I don't know. Let's see. Average rent in L.A. Let's see what we can find here. I got a great story for you when you figure that out. I was telling Mom this last night because I, I was watching on One Step Beyond and it was pretty amazing. So it'd be a three-bedroom, right, for a family of four, or ideally? Well, ideally, yep. most likely a two-bedroom or three-bedroom. Three-bedroom, $5,300. Yeah. That's bottom? Uh, that's average. Oh, it's average, okay. 5300 And it's over $1,000 up from just three years ago. Oh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's a 
4600 plus 5300 yeah, that's $10,000 a month. Yeah, it's 120000 bucks just for that. Yep. There you have it. So, well, as long as you didn't eat or wear clothes, you'd be good to go. Mm. Easy peasy. No problem. <coughs> so I was watching One Step Beyond yesterday, just sitting around the house. One Step Beyond was kind of like a twilight zone in a way, I guess. One Step Beyond. One Step Beyond. But there was this couple... And they checked into a hotel. Oh, God. It was phenomenal. And this was like a suite. It was not a little hotel room about the size of this studio. It was a suite, which had a bed. And there was a little kind of little kitchen area. Then you could go around the corner to the closets and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was a really nice hotel suite. And the wife says to him, well, now that we're here, we should go out to dinner. And he goes, we can't. She goes, why not? He said, because we can't afford it after checking into this hotel. She said, what do you mean? He goes, you have to understand something. This hotel is $1.25 a night. Or $1.50 it was. I think it was a dollar. No, it was a dollar twenty-five. $1.25 a night. (laughs) That's ridiculous. That suite now in Los Angeles now would be, what, about 700 bucks a night? Probably. Probably, uh, maybe even more. (laughs) They got $1.25 a night for a hotel suite. I don't understand how the world is even operating anymore. I was just I looking know. at flights because sometimes I just dream of some like vacation I'll yes. never go on and yep. I actually plan it and I never go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but um, like coach tickets to I go mean, to Europe are like $5,000. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. I would rather die so than for fly two, coach to Europe. I know. So oh, for, for God, two people horrible. to go to Europe, you're paying ten grand. Before you even <laughs> do anything, do anything, just to get there, ten grand. How is anybody? And the and apparently the planes are packed. How are people know. doing this? I know. Andy, would what, you do me a favor? Every. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Alex. Just everything is so expensive right now, and I'm like, how is the average right. person? I mean, like, I look at Fonz dance. It's like, you know, X amount of dollars a month, whatever. And at the beginning of dance i was like all of these people that are in dance and have their kids an older like they're, they have older kids so it's way more expensive than what fawn is and i'm like right. they must all just have tons of money at the beginning and then i <coughs> now know these people and i'm like no they're just like average people but how are they they're making sacrifices this? so that their kids can have these experiences but That's i mean sacrificing you, you have to sacrifice a food, medicine, lot. healthcare, yeah. most likely. You have to sacrifice a whole lot if you're an average income household to pay for yeah. everything right now, plus like dance or whatever mm-hmm. your kids in. I know. I'm like, what? <laughs> I know. I, and I, I know all these people that keep on going over to Europe all the time for on these vacations, and I'm like, I know. Okay, so one of the secrets, supposedly, is that you're supposed to fly to a lesser known area. Mm. And then doing like a train And or then something? take a train yeah. or, a, oh. or a short flight. And I'm like, okay, so that's a whole nother day or two. Of travel. Yep. Of traveling. So unless you're going to go to Europe for a month, yeah. there's no point. Well, I would never go to Europe for less than a month. That because of that long just, flight, well, there's no the way. Just the cost is and, outrageous. And the cost of the ticket, yeah, it's... You have to make a big deal about it because otherwise it's just like the flight alone knocks you out for two days. Well, that's that's true. I have a friend that lives in England and she's coming to visit in October and she we send voice notes back and forth to each other and she booked her ticket. She was like, when I she came here, she lived here. She came here for college. She was like. Tickets back and forth used to be like four hundred dollars. Yeah, and yeah. now it's two thousand mm-hmm. dollars for her to come here. <laughs> yeah, two thousand dollars. Yeah. And it was you do me a favor because mm-hmm. I, I was just talking. A friend of mine just got back from Scotland. He went on a on a golf trip with a bunch of his, his on wife. On a junket. He went on a junket exactly. And we went. How old were you guys when we went to Turnberry? Probably 11, 12. I was going to say it was probably... Because you were rolling down the hill, I know, you little Something like that. Nine. I think you were maybe nine and you were 11. Yeah, nine and 11. I always say that I was nine at, like, everything. I was nine when I broke my arm. I was nine (laughs) when the (laughs) It's a big year for you. I was nine when the barn burned down. I was nine when we went to Scotland. That was was a very busy... Because we we did go to Hawaii, like, the year after, I think. Yeah. No, we went... When we we were in Hawaii, the barn was burning down. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but we went to Hawaii, like, right after we went to Scotland. Did we? Did yeah, we, we used to travel all the time when we were kids. Oh, when those were, were the days. And then we kind of stopped. Times. I haven't left the country in 20-something years. Okay, so really? do me a favor. Well, of, Canada, but that doesn't count. 
I was thinking of booking something here, but I better check after what you guys are talking about. How much is a two-bedroom suite at Turnberry Hotel? Oh, God. You probably have to call them and give the secret password. If you have to ask, you can't afford it. Yeah, it's probably one of those (laughs) places. probably posted. I can't even imagine how much anything is anymore. It's got to be thousands of dollars now. Groceries are $300. Uh, What's the city? Turnberry. Turnberry. Um, And another thing is, is that it's just... You know, you used to be able to use some of your airline miles to do an upgrade. Yeah. Well, now they want like 400 million miles I know. to do an upgrade. I know. So it, it's mm. like you just can't. I don't know who the system is being rigged for and how, and people, how people are paying are for it. Well, I guess our credit card debt now, because of inflation, is, huge. is yes, insane. It is. Really? Yeah. And people are paying 20, 25%. They are, yep. Interest on their credit card. This is why I. So they can spend. Ten grand to fly to Europe. I don't understand. That's why I keep my it's money the, in a hole in mm-hmm. the woods. There I just, you go. Yeah, seriously, right now I don't know. <coughs> it's I, the Trump turn buried, by the way. Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. It, Are that's you right. kidding me? Trump, no, it's been a while. It's God. actually been a while, a long while. Yeah. Let's so, see. A suite is five hundred seventy, or not a suite. A guest room, whatever that is, is five hundred seventy. That's probably a yeah. regular room. room. Yeah. Oh, that's the that's a deluxe king room. Okay. With an ocean view. It's oh. 579. Really? Pounds so, or dollars? Uh, no, dollars. That surprises me. Yeah, Deluxe Jeez. King Room without the ocean view is only 375 pounds. Oh, I, I love Turnberry. Uh, I'd go back So there. actually, surprisingly affordable. I mean, it's, it's a lot I more affordable. I wouldn't call $570 a night affordable, well, but it it's is, affordable compared to what I thought it would be. It is kind yes. of in the middle of nowhere. It is. It is. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, it's um, technically there. in so a town called uh, Gervon. Gold. I always Gervon, want to say yep. Dornock. Yeah, it's Gervon, yeah. Dornock. Gervon, yep. <laughs> Gervon. Remember, we went. They have a kitty park there. Remember, you got to play all the kitty games at the kitty park in yep. Gervon. Oh yeah, they had I like that arcade thing. We played penny thing. slots. Yeah, penny lots slots. Of, lots yes. of weird little penny mm-hmm. games. Was there like an old lady that came with us? Oh, we had a babysitter. Yeah, there was like oh, an old yeah, lady. Oh, yeah, that's right. We had a babysitter one night so we could go out to dinner. Mm-hmm, I remember. There remember her lady. one question she had for you? What are your children talking about when they said to me, I need a nappy? Hmm. Because a nappy over there is a diaper. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember she said it was time for bath, so she drew a bath, and I went into the the um, bathroom. Mm-hmm. And the bath had like an inch of water and a sponge. <laughs> and I'm like, this is not a bath. We'll call this, this a bath. What is going on? This is a splash. This yeah, is it was a... a sponge bath. That's what yes, you, she was an old bath. Scottish woman. That's Well, you want to save they water. Did. They didn't. Yep. Well, you have to remember people that live in baths. Europe have never had the kind of disposable income that, that Americans have. No, that is. Yeah. People always talk about it's like, oh, everything's so free in Europe, free college, free health care. Despite all the free stuff, they still have like maybe two thirds of our income. Absolutely. Yeah, that is yeah. very, very true. And that's yeah, dis- but they've got free health care. No, even though we pay for health care, we pay for college, we pay for everything, we still have way more money than le- them left over at the end yeah. of the day. Well, we don't pay which for is, college it's anymore. It's crazy. Well, we do, but not. A- now, do we get any money back for their tuition? No, no, never, of course not. They've been out of college for many, many years. Biden We're not getting passed, anything. I've been Biden out of college has- for two years. Biden passed a deal where he said he's going to spend what, like forty billion dollars, giving money back to for tuition. They said he can't do that. Yeah, there's no way he's going to be able. But to he get just that said done. it again two days ago. Well, of course, he's promising. He's over promising, so they'll vote for him. No. That's what he did last time. It, it worked about, too. Yeah, it's it all does work. Do. Yep. Yeah. Even though he can't do it, he can promise it, and it's technically see. That's the thing is, there's no repercussions for promising things, even if you yeah. know you can't deliver them. Like no. if you say something like that, it should be there should be some sort of punishment for not doing following it. through. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I've been I've been watching this show, the Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. Death cleaning. Oh. Death cleaning. It's my. Mm. Okay, so she was talking to me about it. And I was like, "That's the way I live my life." This I'm is imagining incredible. Imagining like a death metal band, I didn't no, know. It, wiping things so, up with so their hair. So it's and, it sort of renewed my interest in the Swedish culture. Um, and I started looking up all this stuff, and they pay 70% of their money in taxes. Yep. Yeah. They have, like, no Swedish money. Swedish people. It's crazy. And they pay 25% VAT tax. Yep. 
So by the time you pay your 70% tax and you go and buy something, you've got 5% of your money left. Yep. Scandinavian people pay a ton of money. They have no disposable income, none. And and it talked about the pros and cons of being, you know, in that sort of society. (laughs) And they're like, the thing that is really good is their political structure is completely transparent. If you... 70% 70% of your money goes, they see exactly where it goes in. That would be it's nice. It's transparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of just uh, like. the Yeah, the politicians don't become multi-bajillionaires <clears throat> after being in office for t- two mm-hmm. years or 10 minutes. Or, and we don't know why they get all that money and where that all goes. And yeah. they're, of course, a small, tiny little country compared to the United States. So they don't have the billions, trillions, quadrillions of dollars just mm-hmm. running all over the place. And nobody knows what who's taking what from where? Well, with politicians, it's mostly they're gaming the stock market, insider trading, that sort of thing. Yeah, you but, can only do that if you're in America because we but, have the stock market. But can you imagine if you paid your taxes and you paid 70% of your taxes and you actually knew that it was going to something that benefited you and your family and your neighbors and your, everybody yeah. instead of we're only going to help this group, we're only helping that group because yep. we're, it's all about getting in for votes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, to me, the stress load of anybody on earth would be so much better yeah. if we just felt that our politicians were actually there to help us. Yeah, that we were oh, actually yeah. kind yeah. of that we mattered about. That everybody and, mattered, yes. not just, yeah. you know, voting blocks of people. Yeah. And all of this, you know, if you know, if I know that you're not gonna vote for me, then I'm just gonna start trashing you mm-hmm. as hard as I can. Yeah. So that Hopefully, people that would vote for you are going to come and vote for me. I, it's just, it was just very interesting to me how, um, I mean, I don't like the idea at all about paying 70% tax. That's a lot. That's a, a lot. lot of money. And they get nothing for it, do they? What do you mean? I mean, they get health care and that kind of stuff for free. They get health care. They? they get 16 weeks after you have, no, 16 months after having a baby yeah. combined. <clears throat> I think the man and the woman can take 16 months off yeah something um and there's some sort of pool so they get paid and it Mm -hmm. doesn't cost you know just the employers so if you have a small company it's not punishment yeah to mm-hmm. have a pregnant woman, mm-hmm. so you don't want to yeah, hire just, them. You're always guaranteed right. a part of your. You're not guaranteed your exact job back when you come back, though. Oh, really? No, yeah. I didn't know that. Well, if you're gone for almost a year, that's yeah. a long time. Yeah, you're guaranteed something, and it has to be within like a certain percentage of the income that you were making. But it's you're not guaranteed the exact same thing if you're gone for more than a certain amount of time. Yeah, and they do have that whole six months basically of kind of darkness, or four months, mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, Sweden doesn't have... Sweden's way up there, right? It's, That's but it's not as yeah. much as, like, Iceland. It's pretty bad, I guess, in some regions. Yeah. It depends, because Sweden is snow. long. So there's a lot... Yeah. Like, North Sweden compared to I Southern Sweden is in, very different. I think it's probably in an area that a lot of people don't live in. Probably. Yeah. And well, the fact see, that they don't... Is, they're, what is in Northern they're Sweden? Not very, they're not very populated, so in the summertime, they've got very natural forests and lots of lakes and mm-hmm. um, things to do, so... It's just, uh, you know, and they just don't own, they don't own nearly as much crap because they just can't afford it. Well, and also, so the whole Swedish death cleaning, that's, it's called yeah, death cleaning. Yeah, what is cleaning. this thing because you, you just talked about? when you, and this is how I try to be, when you get something or when you're getting rid of something, you don't think, does this matter to me? You think, do I want my children to have to deal with this when I'm dead? Ah. And I think about that. All of the time, like yeah. anytime no, I, right. I am, I have been in a very like binge stuff out of my house mode lately. I've been like, I want to get rid of 90% of the kids' toys because they don't really play with, yeah, like they're kind much. of aging out of, yeah, they're aging out of toys. a certain amount of toys. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I want to redo the entire playroom area, clean it out, blah, blah, blah. And you know, I have friends that they're like, oh, well, my son really loved this truck and I'm going to keep it so they can give it to their son since they loved right, it so much. Right. And I'm like, out of here. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're not brutal. Out. I'm not. You're brutal. I am cutthroat. Like, yeah, I you just, are. <laughs> I'm super brutal. Yeah. Anytime I used to want to keep everything. Oh, yeah. Not were, anymore. You were very, you're very sentimental. I mean, yeah. I still do I'm, keep a lot of things that most people wouldn't keep. But like all the... um. Like all my little drawings and stuff from when I was six years old and stuff. 
I got rid of all those. Yeah, but you can take photos of it and yes. turn it into a little book, or you can digitize yeah. things. Or have a, you know. Yeah. Well, too late. Oh, all gone. I, no. Yeah. I, have I mean, a they're little, just like dumb little, it's like, yeah. you I can't even little, tell what the hell it was supposed to be. I have I a little box for each of the kids of like, you know. Yeah, like major things. Drawing, but like, I don't plan on keeping any of their clothes. People are like, oh, no, a, couple, clothes, no. a couple outfits that were so sweet. I'm like, no, Psh. I don't care about they that. They don't care. What? I'm just going to keep this in my basement for 30 years until they have kids. And then it's like, oh, here's three onesies. What? Well, not to no. mention there's yeah, and then banana go, crust I hate that. from 40 years ago on them. Probably smell. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like some people just keep everything and I keep nothing. And mm-hmm. it's awesome. Because I just think, do I, is this going to sit in my basement? I'll look at it f- maybe four more times in my life and think, oh, how nice. And then I die. And then my kids have to think. Do we just throw it in the garbage? That seems harsh, but like, what else are you gonna do with it? You know? Right. Yeah, we I just had, uh, well, Melissa's had two deaths in the family in the past five years, six mm-hmm. years. And yeah, they have to deal with that every time. Yeah. We, we drove all the way up to Jim's old cabin. Uh, well, it's, I don't know, it's like it's, it was a house on a lake. Yeah. Right. And we had to go through all of this stuff, tons and tons and tons of stuff. Decide who gets what. Most of it went in the garbage because most of it was, you know. He would, like, every tool, he was the kind of person who, like, if he saw a wrench on the side of the road, he'd pull over and take it home. Absolutely Because he just needed every single tool. That makes me feel nauseous. <laughs> we we inherited so many tools. I should be a sw- I remember when you were moving out of your Golden Valley house, you at first... But you would invite me over to be like, can you help me get rid of some stuff? Because you're like, we just have to get rid of stuff because we're yeah, downsizing we're downsizing, man. And at first you were like, well, maybe we'll keep this. In my-. And I was like, no, get rid of it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> and then you'd make a pile where I'd be like, it's a maybe. And then I'd secretly get rid of things. Oh. And then by like a couple days of doing that. You were like, get rid of it, get it out of here. I well, the other thing about the Swedish death cleaning idea is it's not so much just, you know, if I die tomorrow, you know, people are going to come into this room and there's going to be all this shit everywhere. And yeah, they're just, you, they you know, what's like- going to happen though is if there's so much shit and it's so overwhelming, they're just going to throw it all away. That's pretty so much what might, we ended up but doing. But there yeah. might be something very significant mm-hmm. or important. You never know. That, you, that if yeah. you would have said, oh my gosh, you know, I've got this picture of me and so and so. And I, I should have given it to them. Yeah. You know, or yep. I should have taken yeah. and digitized it or something mm-hmm. like that. Or I had this, I had this copy of a book. It was a first edition. Uh, you know, at one time yeah, I was whatever. collecting yeah. books and... And this should be sold. Yeah. And no, it's going to end up in a landfill because yes. you didn't take care of your crap yeah. and didn't tell anybody yep. that this had any significance. We actually had something very similar to that happen when we were cleaning out the basement in the Crystal House. Mm-hmm. There was like this old, um, what do you call it? It's like a bench with a mirror on it, makeup table thing. Vanity. Vanity. vanity there you go. There was a vanity. And we were just, like, throwing old broken stuff in the corner. So junk luggers or whatever come take it all up. We could, mm-hmm. just, we could just say, this is the junk corner. Come take everything. Yeah. So I take this old broken vanity, and I throw it in the corner. And it, like, you know, splinters into a billion pieces. And out of the vanity comes a, like, World War II era photo of, I think it was, like, her great-grandma or something like that. And I was like, look what I found, you know, hidden in this vanity that people forgot about decades ago um, that I never would have known about because we weren't like carefully going through everything. I mean, obviously, you know, we weren't just throwing everything away. If it was clearly broken and crappy and neglected, we threw it away. But that was like almost everything. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. we were just like, okay, okay, chuck it, chuck it, chuck it, chuck it. And then something like that falls out and it would have been lost forever if it hadn't caught my eye when it fell out of the vanity. Right, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I know. That... I, f- I follow this Instagram account. I think it's called like the Museum of Lost Memories or something like that. And they post things all the time of like old pictures and they're trying to find the people. They're like, this was found at a Goodwill in Hoboken. You yeah. know, it says mom and dad's anniversary 1912 on the back of it like do would you do any does anyone know who this is and they actually end up finding a lot of people really yeah and they there was one where they were like i found these it's, it's an urn at a goodwill 
Yeah. And they bought it for $4 because they don't think the Goodwill realized that it was an urn. They just thought it was like a decorative mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And they were like, I was like, this is an urn. And so I bought it for $4 and I spread this person's ashes. Like, <laughs> I was just like, that's sad. And they should have yeah. some sort of, I don't know. I was like, weird. But all these people are, it was probably a similar thing where it was just like, there's so much stuff. So much crap. Just yeah. give it all to Goodwill. I just think about that. It's like burial. We were, Melissa and I were just talking yesterday about how burial is a waste of money and time and everything like that yeah well but there, you don't really have hardly any other options well there's cremation other than cremation well, you can become a tree now become a tree but then it makes you think it's like okay so we get cremated ethan gets our urns yeah and then he just... gets cremated his kid gets our urns and his urns at what point do you just start throwing them away yeah well that's why you that's put why it in a spread or something or spread or the ashes or do something yeah Even i though think honestly ashes is illegal in most places, it is. Yeah. But nobody, no, what they don't know won't hurt them. It's true. Well, besides that, why is it illegal? It's just it's sterilized ash. It's burned up ash. Why it's, can't it's you just put it anywhere? It's considered disposing of a body. No. Yeah. No, I'm saying it's not a body. Oh, well, but yeah. but yeah, it's like when Bella died. They were like, "What do you want to do? Do you want to have her cremated? Do you want?" To? And I was like, "Well." What about like just can we just bury her in the backyard? And she's like, no, it's a, it's like a either I think it's a felony. Well, you. And she's like because it's but disposing about. And she was like, but I mean, yes, people often do that. Well, who's really going to convict you, to be honest? But she's like, but then you run the risk of you know you move out of your house and then somebody else moves in with a dog and then they dig up your dog and then find the bones yeah. and like there's just, mm-hmm. she's like that's kind of a hard <laughs> thing. Well, to you could put a little know. note in there because I have a friend whose dog is not going to last a lot longer. And she was like, what did you do? I don't know. And I was like, what I would do is, because we paid extra to have her cremated alone so we could have her ashes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, just do the bulk cremation and be like, see you. Like, she, she, Bella sits in a box on our hearth and I'm just like, what am I supposed to do with this? I know. You know, I'm like, eventually we're it's just going to spread her ashes in our yard and then burn the box i don't i'm just like yeah, i don't know, I know. what because i don't want fawn and sage but like here's our dead dog from Go when we were tiny. around the park where yeah, she used to take will. walks we will you yeah. know we yeah we have will. a hobbs's ashes and we're probably gonna i don't know where can i put it in a fireplace um, a vent i'll dump a... it in our vents during the winter when <laughs> the heat's on <laughs> put it <laughs> how about in the garden he never went outside. He never went outside. That's the thing. I'd have, to, covered I'd have to spread them somewhere indoors, which I don't yeah, think would go very no, well. That's not, no. that's not a good idea. The, the one time he went outside, remembrance. Yeah. He used to go outside really. in St. Paul. We could break into Sometimes. the St. Paul house people's backyard and surround it back no, there. there you go. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it. No. Well, you guys ran a, a, an hour and three minutes this time. That's pretty oh, good. Bonus oh, content. Bonus, bonus content. content. Death right. becomes you. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> oh.